It is the Cuse Conversations podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Velarde. Glad you found us and hit play on this conversation with 2014 grad Chris Williamson. If you're a New York sports fan, you've probably seen Chris on TV. He's an anchor at Sportsnet New York. That's SNY. He's also a former walk-on on the Orange football team. Well, today he's working in the number one media market in the country. But about a decade ago, he was just a student getting some painfully honest feedback from a Newhouse professor. Yeah, he said, you know, you have a you have a lot of work, you know, to to do as far as, you know, my voice, the diction, you know, uh, the the hand movements, just being more comfortable on air. And I, I found that to be a really great kick in the butt to hone in on my craft and elevate my reel, you know, for the rest of my time at Syracuse so that I would have, you know, the best best chance to get a job, you know, right out of right out of school. Chris says one of the things that helped him was finding and really owning his unique voice, something he's leaned into both on the air and on social media over the last year plus, as our country has been simultaneously dealing with a pandemic and serious issues of race and social justice. Stick to sports? Yeah, that's not for Chris. He'd rather encourage the sometimes difficult conversation. We'll cover that and a lot more during this Cuse Conversation. It's been a rough 16 plus months. How are you doing? Yeah, um, I think a lot of times people, you know, they don't realize, you know, how much people are going through. And so we kind of just, you know, not seriously ask, you know, how are you, you know, how are you? It's like, oh, good. And then it's like, really on the inside, you're, you're not doing great, but it, it's been a trying, you know, 16 months, as you mentioned with the pandemic, you know, you lost people to COVID and, you know, just things, you know, with the workplace and wondering if you're going to be able to stay, stay at your, you know, job and how that's going to work out, especially when sports were not, you know, happening. Uh, but I do think, that I've learned a lot and grown uh, so much, you know, since the pandemic started and how to really maximize, you know, the time that we we do have on this earth and maximize your opportunities uh, wherever you're working uh, to make sure that you, you're able to stay, you know, as happy as possible and as fulfilled as possible uh, with, your, with your outlook on life and, and where you work. Along those lines, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday um, and, you know, she said, look, we were really facing over the last 16 months, two pandemics. We're facing obviously the COVID pandemic, but, but there's also the kind of awakening, the social justice pandemic that people are like, oh yeah, hey, we've been facing that for a long time, but we're finally realizing it and talking about it. And it's very clear through watching you on TV seeing you on social media, that this is something that, that is important to you. And so when you say, you know, kind of seeing the opportunities, I think you saw an opportunity to, to really find your voice. Um, what has been your, your process through, through that and really saying, you know what, this is something I think is important and I wanna talk about. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, I felt like at SNY, you know, I had the the platform pretty much from from day one to be able to speak my mind about, you know, different racial issues and diversity uh, topics, um, you know, on the on the late night show to help, you know, give a different perspective to our audience. 
And so when, you know, everything happened, you know, in 2020 with uh, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery and Rana Taylor and some of the others, uh, you know, that kind of brought things to a tipping point for a lot of people, specifically white people because of the, the blatant disregard for humanity of uh, George Floyd's life from, from Derek Chauvin. And so it drained me, uh, you know, it was overwhelmed, you know, just all the trauma and PTSD from, you know, black people, you know, police killing black people and just seeing, you know, our lives not matter. But then I said, look, I have an opportunity at SNY to target their audience that may not be used to hearing these type of conversations. And what better way, you know, to do that than to, you know, have different players and coaches uh, to discuss their background and their childhood and the things that they've gone through, you know, from a racial standpoint and, you know, how that shaped them. And then some of the experiences that they've had uh, to help them, uh, some of the experiences that they've had that have been, you know, very traumatizing, but just giving a lens, a look into, you know, how other people's experiences, uh, you know, shape who they are and the struggles that they have. So I knew that I was going to be doing something that wasn't uh, fitting the, the cookie cutter mold. And I thought this was like my, my small way of trying to make, make change and uh, advance progress so that, you know, we can see that, you know, we have a lot more similarities than we think, but also it's wonderful to appreciate the differences uh, from different people's cultures. Uh, but I knew that I wouldn't feel fulfilled if I just, you know, kept doing, you know, sports night shows and other other series uh, about football, basketball, um, if I didn't, you know, ingest or didn't infuse that racial element because sports uh, and race and uh, politics are all, you know, interconnected. That, that, always, old, that old criticism of stick to sports, it, you turned it on its head because it, it's just sports is part of culture. Sports is part of of our lives and and there is no stick to sports right i mean that's that's the idea here yeah it's a, it's a huge fallacy this this whole notion of stick to port stick to sports it's never been valid at all the people that are telling you to stick to sports are the individuals who don't agree with your your values or they don't agree with your beliefs and then two uh, they want to make sure that you know when you have these predominantly uh, black athletes for you know the NBA and the NFL uh, that no you're you're here to entertain us that's that's what your your mission is so keep jumping high and you know scoring touchdowns and scoring baskets but we don't we don't want any of that extra you know political uh, nonsense and I just laugh at that uh, because pol politics are intertwined with sports. Let's talk well, about and your interview series was called more than a game because right it's like, big, yeah bigger, so bigger, bigger than sports yeah more yeah, than a game would have been nice too uh but yeah it's this notion that you have to separate politics and sports and and races it's ludicrous to me yeah. so what yeah what through either through that or through watching watching sports and watching athletes feel like you know what I mean, there there have always been athletes who've spoken out. I mean, that's that's not new, but that what's new is that 
A, I think more people are listening. And B, I think more athletes are feeling empowered to be able to do that. And, and I think maybe even C would be some broadcasters are feeling more empowered to be able to do that and amplify those voices. What would you say in terms of doing it, speaking with athletes, speaking with coaches you've learned um, in, in the last 16, 18 months? You know, I just learned so many differing perspectives from, uh, you know, various types of black people. And, and that's the that's the beauty, right? It's that everybody has a different opinion on how to change things. And so for me, you know, part of the reason why, well, I feel like growth happens when you have uncomfortable um, discussions or, or conver you know, conversations and in short, I feel like I learn you know, how to handle situations, you know, differently. If, you know, I came into, you know, uh, a racist incident or something where, you know, people were being discriminated against because everybody had a different approach on like what to do. You know, some was, you know, legislation and lawmakers, others, you know, was on the streets. Then other people was like, well, we need to invest funding into, you know, HBCUs and, and different resources like that, different schools like that, you know, help pump up, you know, black, black individuals. So that, that was probably the biggest thing the just the wide range of uh, experiences and thoughts or opinions, I should say, uh, when it comes to how do we get past, you know, systemic racism and uplift, you know, the people that have been disenfranchised and discriminated against, you know, since America was founded. And, and you know, if you don't have those conversations, you don't get, if you don't have those difficult conversations, you don't get to that point of trying to find the solutions. And, you know, in scanning through your Twitter feed, in, in listening to some of your commentary, even on sports, it sounds like you're, you're saying, listen, let's have these conversations. I know that they're not going to be easy, but let's have them. Yeah, because we live in a society where people want to be protected. Their, their egos are very fragile. And they don't want to be put outside their their comfortable bubble. And yeah. if you do that, you're you're going to stay stagnant in terms of your progress of life and how you grow. And then also, you're you're just going to be limited and probably you know have a lot of biases towards different people. And we you know we all have biases. Just certain certain people have more power with those biases, and it's understanding okay, I have this bias. Now, what are you going to do about it to make sure it doesn't uh, affect other people's lives, that you don't take it, you know, into into action? So that, that's how I feel uh, about that. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, we've seen that, that awakening with social justice, but even in the last week or so, we've seen a, a different type of awakening with mental health. And we think about the tennis player, Naomi Osaka, who first decided she didn't want to speak to the media. It wasn't something that she was comfortable with. She talked about her anxiety and depression and those kinds of things. And then she stepped away from the French Open. I mean, she's she's the highest earning female athlete in the world. And she stepped away from one of the biggest tournaments in the world and said, I don't want to be a distraction. But she's made a point. And she's got people talking about, about another really important aspect, which is mental health. I feel like... Unfortunately, after everything that you know people have been through, 
in the pandemic, all the, the Black Lives Matter protest and, you know, the uh, public lynching of George Floyd, essentially uh, by the cops, people have become less empathetic. They have become more uh, hateful and disrespectful to people's lives. It's as if, I saw somebody said, well, yeah, Naomi Osaka, she makes whatever 23 million a year or however much she made. So we're supposed to have empathy for her as if money can, you know, hide insecurities, as money can, you know, override uh, mental health issues. And so I think it's a wonderful, unfortunately, it, what I think is wonderful is the conversation starting about how we treat athletes, uh, specifically, you know, journalists and the role that we play in asking and needing to ask better questions, more sensitive questions. And that also stems from, you know, who are the people asking these questions? A lot of times the journalists in the room do not reflect, you know, the people that they're covering. But that's not an issue unless you do not have a culture, you're not culturally sensitive to the people that you're interviewing and that you're able to have some sort of commonality where you have empathy and you're not seeing them, you know, just as zoo animals or, or entertainers that, you know, are supposed to give you smiles when, whenever you want. And so I think she's really exposed, you know, the hypocrisy uh, in a lot of people where, yeah, it's like, yeah, we, we champion mental health. I mean, this happened during, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month. And for Roland Garros to put out those statements that they since deleted about, oh, you know, such and such player understood the assignment when it came to speaking to the media. For them to taunt her and for him, for them to uh, threaten to expel her from the tournament, if she kept, like, she paid the fine. She right. said, I was going to say, oh, that's not good enough. Oh, because you can pay it because most people can't pay it. It's like, oh, no, we're going to get you. It's just a slap in the face. And then on top of that, uh, you know, the person who heads the, the French Open, they read a statement about Naomi's situation in French and then in English, and they didn't take any questions. <laughs> so a blatant, you know, contradiction is like, you, you say you care about, you know, Naomi's health. Uh, you, you say you want her to do these uh, obligations, but you can't even, you know, stand to the fire. You can't even, you know, get questions asked to you because you know you're going to get scolded. Uh, so I think a lot of people, there's a lot of fake, fake activism and fraudulent behavior by people for various causes, not just mental health, but uh, many more. Yeah. And you said, I mean, you said a key word and that's empathy and, and approaching whatever it is you're doing, whether you're a journalist, whatever field you're in, approaching those you work with, those you deal with, your colleagues, your teammates, your adversaries professionally with empathy goes a long way. It's I don't, there are a lot of, there are a lot of hurt people in, in this world. And we, as somebody, you know, who's done it before, and I'm sure everybody, you know, can, can relate, we project all these issues that we have in our lives onto other people. It's because we're not satisfied. We're not happy with our existence and, and what we're doing. So we're gonna poison other people or try to poison other people by making them feel miserable as well. And it's just, it, it takes zero wealth, right? You know, financially to be kind and considerate. And I don't know who said it, 
but it's some quote I saw like, you know, every per you know, some person that you run into, you know, maybe on the verge, just one moment, you know, from uh, being set off or, or triggered of you know, having a breakdown. So you, you don't know what that person's gone through. That's why if they snap or do whatever, you, you don't take it personal. And that's how I've been able to, you know, go about life in a lot more uh, a healthy manner because I know people are dealing with so much. So it's not fair to me to, you know, snap back at somebody when they respond in a harsh manner. And I know I've done nothing. It's like, okay, clearly you have some, some things that you're dealing with and undergoing right now that have nothing to do with me. So I'm going to remove myself from the situation. <laughs> or I'm just going to be like, okay, you know what? I, I see you're in pain. I'm not going to, uh, you know, try to attack you or antagonize you. I just, no, I can't, um, yeah. you know, respond in a harsh manner. But yeah, it's, it, I don't know. So I, and look, that's not something that that traditionally reporters and journalists have necessarily been armed with. That that hasn't that is becoming something now, but it isn't something. You know, their job was to go out and get the story and ask the tough questions and you know and and kind of pry until they got the answers they wanted. I, th I think we're finding now that there is a shift. There is a, a better understanding. We got a long way to go. But you know, I'm I'm fortunate to to be an adjunct at Newhouse and to be able to to kind of teach the next generation to some degree, and and I see it being infused much more into the education. That idea of of empathy and that idea of of approaching, you know, the story, checking your biases and and checking where you're coming from, and better understanding where the person you're you're profiling or you're talking to, or you're, you're trying to, you know, to get in an investigative type of story, just understanding where they're coming from too. And that, that's huge. And, and that's, I think that's kind of new. I, I think, I think unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's new. I don't, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be new because no. you, you do, you do have journalists who are going, like you said, they're going to, you know, pry and pry until they get the story. And there, there's a balance, right? Because as journalists, you know, you want to hold, you know, our public officials accountable and you need to, you know, find the truth. But at the same time, when you're dealing with um, these type of situations covering athletes, uh, you need to be more empathetic and less of, oh, yeah, I just I'm going to get the story. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do, do whatever. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to get a gotcha moment because right. that is only going to antagonize the, the athlete or, or coach. And so it, it's refreshing to see more people, you know, do that. I still think we have a long way to go, as you said, okay. but it is good that we are having a, a conversation on a bigger scale about how do you talk to, how do you talk to humans, right? That, that is the, because people, for some reason, people, you know, they cannot associate a multi-million dollar athlete with being a human. It's, you make 50 million a year. How do you have depression? How do you have suicidal thoughts? How do you have doubts? Like, yeah. as it, so I, I'm glad that there are people out there who are becoming more sensitive to the subjects they're covering uh, while at the same time, you know, maintaining their, their journalistic integrity. Yeah, it is. A, it's a balance. I think that's, a, you know, that's a really good way to put it. So let's, let's back up to, to your Syracuse experience. Um, what what drew you 
to Syracuse, um, you're you know kid from DC, right? Um, what 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 made Syracuse the place that was on your radar and a place you wanted to be? Well, originally I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. That was my dream. Yeah, me, me and my brother. Obviously, that did not happen. I got cut from my JV team, my high school year, sophomore year. Up until that point, I had spent all my parents' money on basketball camps, you know, shooting coaches, the whole nine yards. Yep. It didn't work out. So I said, <laughs> I might need, to, I need to quit this, you know, dream and I need to focus on another one. I said, well, if I can't play the sport, I might as well stay connected. And I was like, well, why don't I talk about it? So at that point, all of my focus really, you know, went into where's the best journalism school? How can I get, you know, reps and, and experience with, you know, internships. And so Syracuse was one of them. I saw all the people that had gone there, you know, the incredible list of alumni. And that was a school that I felt would give me the best chance to succeed and, you know, live out my dream of becoming a, a really good broadcaster. So that's, that's the only reason I, I chose Syracuse was because of Newhouse School and the you know the reputation uh, that it had because that weather <laughs> that wasn't weather, it no that weather is brutal <laughs> you, uh, you know we talking about mental health that that uh, seasonal depression and all the snow that you know comes around like feels like kidding. nine months nine months out of the year that's big so for me the Newhouse School uh, provided me with the uh, you know motivation to to get through all those tough winters and experiences so that I, you know, I would lose my mind. <laughs> you see that list of names and you think, all right, well, if, if that school produced all those folks, then, then that's the place for me. But you got here and you decided to walk onto the football team. Yeah, I, I decided to walk onto the football team because I knew that, well, originally I had decided to go to Elon. And the reason I did that, because I had a guaranteed walk on spot, but, you know, a very wise friend who played at Stanford and then now he's in the NFL. He said, you know, Chris, you can go to Elon and you can, you know, have that guaranteed walk on spot and that's cool. And they have a good journalism school. But if you go to Syracuse, that's arguably the number one, you know, communication school in the country. So if you do that and you fail and you don't make the team, then you have a world-class, you know, education to fall back on. So that gave me the switch. I took yeah. my deposit out of Elon. And then luckily there was still a spot open because I told Newhouse, yeah, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm going to another place. I'll tell you, I'm not lying. And so there's a spot still open and I, I'm so happy and grateful that, that it was. And I, I never looked back since, but to be able to make the team really affirm, you know, one of my other dreams, which was to play college football, you know, once I knew that basketball was not going to be in my, in my future. Yeah. And, and that gave me a lot of perspective and insight as well about the, the business of D1 sports, yeah. but also the, the joy and the innocence of uh, being, you know, in the carrier dome and, you know, having all these thousands of fans, you know, screaming, screaming for you, shaking, shaking their keys on third downs and, and that rush. And then also, you know, bonding with your, your teammates, but I'll, I'll never, never forget those, those type of experiences. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing to be able to have both of those things. And, you know, and I think there is something about 
covering sports, but having been on the other side, having been part of a program, a D1 program, and, you know, to see firsthand what it's like to experience those things. It does, it provides you some of that empathy that you need to, uh, to approach it a little bit better as you're asking the questions and, and dealing with, with the athletes and understanding kind of the process and what, what they go through. Exactly. That's, that's the thing, right? You, you understand how controlled one, you understand how controlled it is where they only allow, you know, like three players, maybe, or a couple players, you know, each game to, right. to talk. They're not allowing, you know, everybody in the locker room. It's not like it is for, for basketball. And, and then also, yeah, you, you see how the media is asking questions and then you see the, the responses that your, your teammates are having and how that, how that affects the group and how that, how that affects the team. But yeah, having, being able to play on a division one team for a couple of years and making all the relationships that I did, it, it gives me more, how do I put it? More respect, you know, from people when I just bring it up or people, you know, research and see, see what I've done in my career. They're like, Oh, you play D1, you play at Syracuse. It's like, Whoa, you know, and like, yeah, uh, but it is something that gives me a leg up and provides, or I should say, it allows me to be seen, I guess, in a, in a better light and have more uh, opportunities because of my background in Division One football and being able to relate, you know, to to a viewer or relate to a viewer what, you know, what's going on in, in certain plays and all that. But the biggest thing, like you said, is empathy. Yeah. You, right. You can, exp- you, you know, you know what, what it's like on the other side. Now, obviously that's a grind being a D one athlete um, in a power five conference. It's, it's a grind. Newhouse is a grind. Uh, you know, the, the, the amount of work you have to do and to, to um, produce the quality that the professors there are looking for. And, you know, you got some tough love at Newhouse too along the way, right? I, I did. I did get some tough love. That's what we call a, a tease, you know, leading into the, the sound. Uh, yeah, yeah. Professor John Nicholson, when I came into his office, you know, my junior year, and I showed him my reel, and I thought I was doing pretty well. Obviously, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I was in La La Land. But he said, yeah, you're, you're not very good right now. Yeah, like, you're just not very good. And to be fair, I mean, I'm not totally surprised because I didn't have uh, the amount of reps that I would have wanted going into uh, my, you know, in my junior year, just because of how football didn't allow me to do on-air activities, on-air responsibilities at Citrus and and other places. But yeah, he said, you know, you have a, you have a lot of work, you know, to, to do as far as, you know, my voice, the diction, you know, uh, the, the hand movements, just being more comfortable on air. And I, I found that to be a really great kick in the butt to hone in on my craft and elevate my reel, you know, for the rest of my time at Syracuse so that I would have, you know, the best, best chance to get a job, you know, right out of, right out of school. Uh, so I always appreciate, you know, Professor Nicholson for, for saying that and giving me some good old humble pie well you know and anyone who 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 knows or had uh professor nicholson he doesn't pull punches he, he, t- he tells it like it is and and that you know you need to hear that right i mean especially man to get into to 
this business to get into to the broadcasting business, it's it's pretty competitive. I mean, that might be an understatement. And so, you know, you need you need to hear those things. You need to get that honest uh, assessment once in a while. Yeah, you have, you have to be thick skin. You will not survive in this industry if you don't have thick skin. And so I don't I don't take anything. Again, we go back to that personal thing. Yeah. Like maybe I didn't feel this way, you know, always, you know, when I was in college, but when people are giving you, you know, critiques and uh, suggesting different ways to, you know, improve your product, you, you don't, you don't take it personal because if you know they have their best interest, then this is probably something that is going to, you know, help your future and you, you shouldn't get uh, upset or, or defensive. Yeah, no, it's, that's uh, absolutely, you know, important advice for anyone who's, who's trying to climb that ladder and look, and you pay your dues and you go to the places that you don't ever expect. I mean, did you ever see yourself living and working in Northern Wisconsin? Not a shot, not, not, not a shot <laughs> at, at all. I, I had no idea where Wausau, Wisconsin was, you know, before I got the job and that those two years that I, that I spent in Wisconsin were some of the more valuable years that I had in this industry just to build a foundation and to, you know, you mentioned before, you know, finding your voice, that was where I started to really find my voice and how I wanted, you know, what I wanted to, to do and what my personality was going to be like on air, you know, at a professional TV market. So I remember four weeks on the job, they sent me out to LA to cover the Badgers Sweet 16 run against UNC and then they ended up playing Arizona and they won that game to the, they go on to the final four, but four weeks on the job, you know, I'm all alone. I got to do all these live hits for news and sports. And I'm on one side, you know, extremely excited and looking forward to the opportunity. The other side, I'm nervous. I'm a nervous wreck because I've never been in such a, you know, high intensity situation. Uh, not, you know, nothing like that's, I never had anything like this at, at Syracuse. So for me, that, that experience alone, let me know I was meant for the business because I missed my first deadline. Uh, I didn't get the, I didn't get to do a hit in the A block yeah. because practice ran up really close to our five o'clock show. But, and, and, and I, sh what I should have done is told them, Hey, you know, practice is really coming close to when we have to be on the air. So it's probably best if, you know, I just do a hit in the B block and, and then also in the D block or like in the C and the D block, but because I didn't have that wherewithal or didn't have that confidence as a new employee to be like, look, I can't do this. Right. You know, kind of, you know, bit me in the behind, <laughs> but I say all that to say, once that happened, I missed that first deadline. I'm thinking, am I, am I going to make it? Is, is this for me? Am I going to flame out here in Los Angeles, you know, at the Staples Center? Is this going to be a disaster? But then I remember they sent you here for a reason. You know, you, you were placed in this position for a purpose, and that was to succeed and thrive. So I had a conversation with the news director and then, you know, about different responsibilities and how we were going to adjust things. But then also I said to myself, you just need to, you know, keep it simple stupid that was one of the <laughs> the acronyms that my sports director taught me and i just like get it done what just just get it done so make sure you 
you hit your deadline. And, you know, ever since then, I've been, you know, much more uh, productive and extremely, uh, you know, reliable <laughs> when it came to, you know, making deadline. Well, there is, I think any of us who've been in the business have that, you know, that, that real moment where we're working for perfect and it doesn't make deadline. You realize, all right, deadline is more important than perfect. Get it on the air, get it done, be, be that reliable reporter, right? Um, make your slot. <laughs> and, That's it. And they know that they can trust you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because if you don't, you will be out of a job, right? That's it's not as if, oh, I missed slot. So I'm going to get a C on this instead of an A or a, or D. It's like, no, you will be out of a job. And yeah, then exactly. nobody wants that. So, no, yeah. But what I produced is, is perfect. Yeah, but it's two hours too late. So it doesn't right. anymore. We're, we're, we're past that. News doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's never an easy lesson to learn, but uh, but any of us who've been in the biz definitely have have had that lesson learned, and you know, and you move I on. Right, yeah, I think I think it. it's necessary. Yeah, you move on, but I think that, I think those lessons are necessary, and that's why I believe you know working. You know, for some people, they can come out the gate and work at you know a big market, and they're thriving. But for a lot of people, you have to you know start in a small market where you can make plenty of mistakes and not feel like you're going to get, uh, you know, judged or ridiculed or, or, or disciplined for it. You set yeah. that foundation. That's one of the things that scares me a little bit is that, you know, you see people kind of jumping right to big markets right away and they're, they're not getting that learning experience at a smaller place where, you know, it's okay to slip up once in a while. You'll, you'll be all right. You know, you do it in a big market and your two-year contract's up and they got another young kid coming in and so, right? I mean, yes, they are ready to replace you like that. I think that's yeah. a tremendous point. You are replaceable. So don't, don't ever forget that in, in this industry. And that's why, you know, you keep, you keep your hunger, hunger going. Yeah, I think it's also, that's also one of the benefits of, of finding your authentic voice. Because, you know, if you're replaceable with somebody who sounds and looks just like you, whatever. But if you are, an authentic voice. If you're different, if you stand out because you are real, you know that, that's a little harder to replace. It, it is. It is a lot harder, and that's why you want to do everything in your power to stand out. You know, you stand out. You be ver You know, you you have a versatile approach and a yeah, way that you look at your craft, but you you don't stand out to to just stand out, right? You stand out because that's of who you are. Essentially, I'm saying you're not being a fraud. Or you're not faking it. This right. is something that, you know, is real. For me, you know, I've kind of uh, just a lot of, I've, because of this industry and how it's, you know, dominated by, uh, you know, predominantly white, white males, uh, I have watered down myself a lot of times to, placate to uh you know fit into what what they want a lot of times i'll still be my goofy and joyful self and you know bring the bring the thunder so to speak but <laughs> they may try to pull back they're, yeah there have been a lot of times where they've tried to uh tone down you know my my approach and and my personality because it isn't the norm but after this year <laughs> or, I don't know. Yeah, after this year, change, whatever, 2020, 
you know, I become much more confident in being my true self that I am, you know, off the camera, you know, still professional, yes. yeah. but I'm, ha I'm having the time of my life. We're talking, we're talking sports, yes. you know, we're, we're talking about sports. We're not talking about death. We're not talking about murder. Like I can, I can give you serious and I can yeah. give you perspective, but I also am going to be loose when it comes to talking about games. Yeah. There's no sense to being serious all the time about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you know what a place to be doing it in New York City, and you know you got you got two NBA teams in the playoffs at least for a little while longer, um, as as we record this, and you know you got uh, two baseball teams that you never know what you're going to get on any given night, but uh, you got you know the Jets who are rebuilding for the fifteenth time in fifteen years, and <laughs> the Giants, you know who knows, but I mean, but you're in you're in the center of the universe when it comes to talking sports. And I, and I love that because there are so many different conversations to be had and exciting moments to, to see and play out, whether it's, well, yeah, from, you know, the Knicks and Nets. And then you have the other side of it where the Jets and the Giants have been extremely disappointing yeah. and depressing. Like every year, it, it just, the last year with, with Adam Gase, well, I mean, two years, but specifically la the last year, it was, it was really hard to talk about them each week because you saw the, the lack of competence and understanding of, you know, how to be a, a head football coach and the product, the product they put on the field just did not. It showed. Yeah. <laughs> it showed that that it, it reflected what was happening behind the scenes. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, but I say all that to say, you have a wide range of experiences and, and teams that you can cover and you'll never be, you know, be bored in, in this market. I, yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. Just from and, a fans, and... just from a sports standpoint, teams, but also, you know, the fans, because they're so rabid, you know, the yeah. Yankees, the Yankees will lose, you know, they'll be start five and 10. It was like, Oh, the season's a wash. Oh, are the Yankees going to make the playoffs this year? And all these overreactions. And then well, you know, that's that's New York sports fans. I mean, that's overreaction. If they they're not overreacting, then they're not reacting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all it's all good. I, I take it take it in stride and really appreciate you know the whole whole experience of, of being in New York. Yeah, and you got you got a couple of uh, of other Orange alumni uh, in the SNY halls with uh, with Gary Apple and Steve Gelbs, right? I mean, that's that's kind of cool. You guys got the the the, uh, the Syracuse connection. It's kind of the way it goes in this business. You're likely going to find somebody. People, every time somebody brings up, oh, you went to Syracuse, oh, so you, you know, <laughs> so, so I, I guess apparently some people, you know, throw it in individuals' faces, but that's not how it was built. That's not how I was raised. I'm like, yeah, I went to Syracuse and, you know, the whole uh, Cuse mafia uh, is, <laughs> is cool, you know, because we, we protect each other and we look out for each other. But I guess some people have a, a pompous uh, attitude about, uh, yeah, I went to Syracuse, you know, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> all right, that's cool. But, you know, that's not going to, uh, you know, work for you, you know, forever as far as, uh, all right, well, I went to Syracuse. So that means I should get to see. I was like, no, what did you do at Syracuse? What do you, who are your re uh, recommendations, your references and all that? But it is cool to have uh, some Syracuse people in, in the building like Gary Apple, I've been able to work with, you know, for UConn basketball, 
Gelbs, you know, I haven't really worked with a lot just because he's on the Mets side and now the Jets, but it's uh it's always comforting when you have somebody who went to went to Syracuse so you can joke about, you know, Marshall Street and <laughs> Chucks and Fagans and the whole nine yards. There's the, and the weather, of course. There's the yes. under the weather as well. You survived. You survived winters in Central New York. And yeah. I, I want to leave it there, but because you you kind of do have you know a a broader Syracuse umbrella maybe than others because you've got kind of the football family, you've got the Newhouse family. But what does it mean for you personally to be a part of? You know, and I know you say, you know, you're not going to throw it in people's faces and brag about it, but what does it mean to you personally to be a part of the, the larger Orange family? It's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. So <laughs> I like I like those questions that make me think. You know, I think it's extremely rewarding and humbling because when I started at Syracuse, you know, I, I had the confidence to be on air, but as far as from a polish standpoint and skill standpoint, you know, I was I was a wash. You know, I was all over the place. So now to be a part, uh, to be on the other side, having graduated, and to have so much respect for the individuals that are in the business, but also for those people that are high up, to have my respect, that that means a lot because we do want the best for each other. And the network, the alumni uh, connection is so strong that, you know, if you find somebody went to Syracuse, they're probably going to be a well-oiled machine and they'll, they'll live up to whatever you need them to do and, and vice versa. So, yeah, I would say it rewarding. It's, it's rewarding and it's humbling to be where I am in New York and have the support, you know, of so many Syracuse uh, you know, students and, and alumni members who have, you know, done far more than I have done in my career. Uh, to have that type of, yeah, get their respect, you know, like the Nicholsons, you know, like the the winners. Uh, he's a he's a legend, uh, Randy. What a what a guy. You talk about he's unique. The best. You talk he's about the unique. Best. He is a unique individual. I love him. Uh, but to, you know, have their respect and, and other people in the business, AC, Anthony Calhoun, yep. you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a humbling feeling to say the least. Thanks again to Chris Williamson for spending some time with us. You can watch him on SNY and find him on Twitter at CWilliamson44. If you just found the Cuse Conversations podcast, please check out some past episodes, hit subscribe, tell your friends, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Chris Velarde. You can find me on Twitter at C Velarde. Talk to you soon. Go Orange. <laughs>